How would I do this show without you, Arvin? How would I do this show without you saying to me before we start, let's get it. Now we'll get it. Before, no. Now, we are getting it. Let's get it. We're getting it. Let's go. Let's go. James Myrtle in a couple minutes. Leafs are at the midway mark. So it's time to do cliche stuff. Mid-season stuff. I thought you were going to say mid-season report card. Go full, no, I'm not full cliche no, there. No, I can't do that. <laughs> Plus, that's, uh, that's good in an article. Sure. That's good where it's a visual and you can see the, right? Yeah. Like the teacher, there's a reason why the teacher wasn't like, you got to be minus. Just he, verbally? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you got to be minus. Go tell your folks. Tell your parents yeah. that you got to be minus. Yeah. Actually, if you are receiving the news of a grade verbally, then it's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> and I wouldn't lie to the people. Yeah. I, uh, man, I looked back at, there was, ah, this is bad. When my dad passed away and we were going through all his files, like reading through his stuff, going through, I found one of my report cards in my senior year and I was like, I'm, I was good in school. I was really good in school. And I was a good, I was good at school technically, but my senior year, there was one semester where I just didn't go to school. I skipped nice. so much class and I was looking at my report card and I, I don't know, I was 30 years old, 31. And I went, I can't let my mom see this. I still felt the shame <laughs> of that report card. I still felt the shame of how much school I skipped that year just to smoke pot in different cars. That's, that yeah. was it. That was it. Just, hey, got to smoke pot in a lot of different cars. Just a lot of different see, cars, a yeah. lot of different like parking lots. A lot of cars, a and... <laughs> lot of piles of dirt to park behind and smoke weed in. <laughs> That's what you got to do. Anyway, uh, the Bills, the Eagles, the Bucks, Steelers. Myrtle in a couple minutes, but just quickly, uh, start with the Bills because they're the local team. I guess everybody says so, even though I know Bills, I know a lot of Bills fans, but I also, I think it's way more split than. Yeah, like yeah, I know it, the most Bills yeah, fans, but there's a wide. Yeah, exactly. So I, I always feel awkward when it's like Toronto's Bills country and I'm like, mm, kind of, it, it, it's got a lot of fans, but I would say there's almost as many Steelers fans that I know here as Bills fans. So yesterday it's going, hey, this is the local team. This is the local team. And I went, mm, yeah, I, I bet you there's more Bills fans. But I would guess that if it was actually a number two in the region, it would be Steelers, right? Yeah, a bunch Detroit. Of I know a bunch of Browns yeah, fans a lot too. Of, yeah, a lot of Browns. There's a Browns sports bar, which yes, I still is. need to go to. Well, less likely I go now. <laughs> if, had there been a Flacco game against the Ravens, I would have gone. Yeah, I mean, Deshaun will probably get hurt next year. So you can go to a Flacco game next year. Yeah, maybe. But the Bills, they are who I thought they were in a good way. I don't think that they're just a blowout, put bad teams away team. I think they leave the door open a little bit. They like to spook you. They like to tease you a little bit. They go, we're not perfect, but we're good. And we have Josh Allen. And there were two big things from that game to me, if I'm a Bills fan. I'm thinking, one, Josh Allen, he didn't have the turnover. And this is it, man. This is playoff football. It's, it's going to be these close games. And he's brilliant, right? He's going to have that 52-yard run. He's going to have those dimey touchdown passes where he just rips it through the cold. And you say, wow, is that the quarterback, best quarterback in the NFL? Is that guy better than Patrick Mahomes? Because I have that thought all the time with Josh Allen. I really do. I really, really do. But the no turnover is the key there. Had he turned it over, right? And... The, the Steelers end up scoring one. Then it's 
squeaky butt time. Then it's, oh my God, you actually might lose this game somehow to a team that had a negative point differential going into the playoffs and was clearly the, the outlier out of everybody that got into the postseason. They were easily, unequivocally, the worst team in the playoffs. The Pittsburgh Steelers, that is. I don't care how fraudulent the Eagles looked. I don't care how awful the Cowboys played. That That is was the worst team top to bottom, especially without T.J. Watt. And it was funny people going, well, they were on their third string quarterback. Like, no, Mason Rudolph was, was their best easily their best quarterback. <laughs> yeah, for Anybody sure. selling you that lie is wrong. Kenny Pickett flat out cannot play football. And the fact that Mason Rudolph was way better than him made it see, it stamps, I think, pretty clearly the end of the Kenny Pickett era mm-hmm. and the need for them to go out and get a quarterback. So Allen, no turnovers, plays brilliantly, awesome, has to follow that same game script going into the game against the Chiefs. But number two is they finally have a running game, man. Mm. This is the difference between the Bills of old and the Bills of now. When they needed a drive in that game, they said, we're going to hand it to James Cook a bunch, and then we're going to let Josh Allen decide on second and third down. And guess what? They went down the field and they scored, and they put the game away. Boom, game over. Good night, Steelers fans, because they finally have a secondary option. And yes, Allen picked up a bunch of those plays with his legs too. He is still, to me, the most dangerous weapon for that team in the rushing attack. But it's not just, hey, we brought in Naheem Hines and hopefully that works out. Or Devin Singletary. Singletary getting a lot of runs. Right. It it just, it's, they've, they've got a guy. They've got a guy who's explosive. They've got a guy who has good vision. They've got a guy who can actually catch passes, even though in the Dolphins game, he had a huge drop. James Cook is a reliable player, and that's why I like them in this Chiefs game. I like that they're finally home. I like that they have James Cook, and I hope, 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 hope that Josh Allen can just avoid that critical turnover in a big spot against the Chiefs team that is going to play them tight because, man, as much as I don't like the Chiefs offense, the Bills are down a whole lot of players. The Bills are down way too many guys in the secondary, way too many guys at linebacker, to make you feel overly confident going into a Chiefs game. So it's going to have to be the offense. They're going to have to they're going to have to be the truck that that pulls the trailer. So Bills fans, buckle up. You got the ghost ahead of you, but I, I I'm a believer in these things. If you can beat the team that you, know, you can beat the man. Look out. All of a sudden the Buffalo Bills, they would feel very very much like yeah, maybe even the most dangerous team with that quarterback and that momentum. Quickly before Myrtle. Yeah, Bucks fans, whatever. That's congrats. <laughs> uh, Baker threw a bunch of outs that went for touchdowns because the other team wouldn't tackle. That is that is as embarrassing as a performance as I've ever seen. Like it took it it's quite a thing for the Eagles to outdo the Cowboys. I thought the Cowboys quit. I thought the Cowboys were so embarrassing. But the Eagles started the season 10 and one, yeah. losing five of their last six and week after week where it's guys who are being snippy with the media. They had to bring in Matt Patricia of all people who took way too much of the blame because, you know, it's Matt, not Matt Patricia out there, not tackling or running into guys in the secondary. It's not Matt Patricia who deleted all his Eagles bio from his Twitter and Instagram accounts like AJ Brown did during a playoff week where he wasn't <laughs> going to play with his teammates. It wasn't. Matt Patricia on the sidelines arguing with Jalen Hurts publicly like Dallas Goddard was. Dallas Goddard, so good, so ugly. Such, a, <laughs> such an ugly guy. That Weird hair. fella. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, the hair, when it gets matted down under the helmet, is up. It, you can tell it, he, he probably could pull it together when his hair is 
curly and fluffy at the top. Sure. And he's 6'6", and he's looking jacked, and you go, ooh, that guy's handsome. Under the helmet when he comes out of that mess, that it's flat down. down oh, gross. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Really gross. But, yeah, that Eagles team, I can't believe that we went from – Oh my God, they almost beat the Chiefs. Oh my God, they should have beat the Chiefs. Holy crap, is Jalen Hurts the second best quarterback in the NFL? Is Jalen Hurts the NFL MVP favorite mm. heading into the season to what they are now, which is a complete and utter disaster? And they're, they're not going to be, well, they're not going to be the same because they probably won't bring back their coach, but they're going to lose some of their vets on the defensive line. They're oh, yeah. already going to lose Jason Kelsey, Kelsey, who is going to retire probably the heart and soul of their team. Yeah. One of the best centers who ever played in NFL history. Hall of Famer for sure. Unquestionably. And now they've got a quarterback that doesn't seem like he resonates with it. It's like, this is the Russell Wilson thing all over again, yeah. where all of a sudden the locker room is just completely fractured after a loss and they just can't recover it. But I, there, there has never been a team that I can remember that was quite like this, where it was just... Wow, you're the Super Bowl favorite to this is a complete is and gone. utter meltdown yeah. and everything is gone and your coach has to go, your some of your receivers have to go, your defense has to be completely restructured. I, I don't know what the hell they do, but boy, oh boy, oh boy. It is a reminder that for for everyone out there is whenever you're arguing about if you've got a really good team, well, we don't want to trade a first round pick or you don't, yeah, I don't know if this is the year. These windows close fast. They slam shut. And in the NFL, it just it can happen in a blink of an eye. So, you know, you lose those games. Look at even Cincinnati, right? They got another Joe Burrow injury. Who knows what ends up happening there? Either way, the windows are precious. The windows are precious, my friends. Uh, speaking of which, the Leafs. <laughs> the window. James Myrtle, senior manager editor at The Athletic. What's up, brother? Is this going to be positive hour here, you think? No, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. I'm kidding. Yeah. Three losses in a row. It's like, I know what kind of show this is going to be. Yeah. Well, I will say it's, it's not even about the three losses in a row though, because I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to expand on this, right? I'm having you on for, it's, it's the middle of the year for the Toronto Maple Leafs, right? We have half a okay. season of games and I do Leafs talk. And one of my pet peeves, one of the ways to get at my, you know, is it get your goat? You get your, yeah, it's get your goat, right? I think that's a saying. Is that's what gets under your skin, right? No. Yes. Okay. Yes. Get your goat. Yeah. Yep. Right. You didn't say anything, so I was like, "Wait, is it not that?" <laughs> so people get my goat when they say it's one game, right? Or now you're being negative because they lost, and I go, "All right, what? I don't know what you want me to do. It's a post game show. It's one show. I'm I'm talking about the one thing, but with the Leafs." It is never one game. It is never one thing because we have so much of a sample of this group and there are things that have carried over from seasons. There are things that carry over from stretches. And I think that there's a lot of things that have basically been hallmarks of this particular season. So we're at the midway mark. This is a team that is 21 and 20, okay? That's, we can, they got eight loser points in there. They got eight loser points. They got 13 regulation wins. And yeah, they've had, I would say... Some good hockey played. Very. When did they, have they played great? Have they played great this year to you? Is there been a stretch of wow? This team uh, looks awesome. Like they look great. A few games. A few Maybe, games. I would say some periods. Right. There was the Boston game where they played really well, um, but few and far between. Uh, what is your? What would you say is the defining characteristic so far of this season? Halfway through of this Maple Leafs team. I would say compared to 
the other recent seasons that have been part of this core group of players mm-hmm. having having a contending team or, or at least hoping to be a contending team, I would say what's really stood out to me is they've taken a step back defensively that we haven't seen for a few years. Like We haven't seen a Leafs team this defensively porous and inept in probably that last season that, that fell apart. 2019-20 is the one that comes to mind for, for mm-hmm. me. And and I know on, on Leafs talk, you were saying this is starting to feel like 2020 a bit to you. Mm-hmm. The the big difference is that the core is not 22 years old anymore. The core is rate, you know, 26, 27 years old, Matthews, Marner, Nylander. They're right in their prime. And I'm not saying it's it's just those guys. I'm just saying this is supposed to be a huge season for the organization and for this team. And you know, part of the conversation that I've seen come up a lot the last few weeks is, can can they invest assets in this group the way that they've played, how poor they are defensively? Can they give up first-round picks? Can they trade prospects to try and bolster this team? Is it worth doing? Which is Which is a bizarre conversation to have given where they're at. You know, it should be a complete no-brainer that this team is a contender right now, and at the halfway point, if they're a contender, they're right on the fringes there. What's their record? 10th, 11th in the NHL? Yeah, 11th. They're on pace for 100 points, which is lower. I think I think most reasonable people thought this team was going to be worse than last year. Mm-hmm. You know, I had them around 105, 106. That's kind of where I thought they'd be. They're worse than that. And there are elements of their record, you know, the, the, the overtime losses, uh, getting amazing goaltending from Wool and uh, and uh, I was gonna, not Samsonov, Wool and, and Martin Jones. Um, there are some elements of their record that have, have been unsustainable too. Mm-hmm. So you know they, they're on pace for 100 points, but also you can make the argument that that's probably painting them a little bit better than they've actually been. Mm. I think that's fair because it, to me the the regulation thing was like really widely discussed and then it sort of went away and now it does feel back, but you're, you're among the cellar dwellers of the NHL when it comes to regular regulation wins, right? Like you're, you're 25th in the NHL in that category. And to your point about the defensive stuff, those metrics are not flattering across the board. Like they're 12th in the NHL, like 12th worst team in high danger chances against that's, that's them. The teams that are among them, there's not a lot of good in there. There's only one. There's only one team that you could consider a, I would say, as they are, a fringy contender in the Vancouver Canucks that is worse. But everybody else below them is, yeah, San Jose Sharks, Chicago Blackhawks, Buffalo Sabres, Columbus Blue Jackets, Montreal Canadiens, Anaheim Ducks, right? Like, that's that's the company that you're keeping in terms of your ability to keep the other team from the dangerous spots on the ice. And they've had a, this is the, the scariest part, they've had a weak schedule to start the season. Like, sure, they had the travel with Sweden, but, like, what what adversity have they really faced so far when it comes to the schedule? I think this is the problem with the team is they're they're getting by, and I called them once during the year the, the just enough guys because that's what it feels like every single night. You're getting just enough for these wins. You're getting just enough to get into overtime, just enough to get a point, just enough to feel okay. But underneath it all, none of this feels like, so far anyways, that they're headed towards or they're barreling towards a deep playoff run. No, it doesn't. I mean, it, it it feels it feels like Groundhog Day a little bit. Mm. And 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 I, you know, like last year, the, the, there were a couple of years in the last couple of years where they played well defensively. And last year, the first half of the season, their record was really good, and they had tons of injuries. 
And there was really a lot of signs that, hey, when this team gets healthy, when they make an addition at the deadline, mm. they, they remember how well like Mark Giordano played in the first half of last year? Of and, course. You know, they had the makeshift blue line, and they won a lot of games. And it was like, there might be something here. Like, this team's really battling. They're really fighting through that adversity. This team now, I mean, other than Wall being out, they haven't had a lot of injuries. I mean, you look at their man games lost. They're like bottom third in the league right now. None of the stars have missed games. Technically, <laughs> you know, like it, what's happened is that they just kind of look, some of the key pieces look older. TJ Brody doesn't look like a top pair defenseman right now. They don't have an answer internally for that. Tavares does not look like an $11 million player or anything close. He's on pace for 64 points or something this season. Mm-hmm. And that's before we get into some of the bigger, I mean, the fourth line has been for the most part really bad this year. You look at the defensive results. I mean, they're paying David Camp to be, I mean, he's probably the highest paid fourth line center in the league and his line's getting filled in every night. Mm-hmm. And they were out there for another key goal there against Detroit. And I mean, I don't know who else you want to talk about. Matthew Nyes is really struggling right now. You know, he's on the fourth line. He's not even on pace for 30 points. He's a, uh, you know, people talked about Tyler Bertuzzi. Yeah, you can pay him five and a half because he's going to get 30 goals. You know, and I don't know if he's going to get 30 points. Mm. So there's a there's there's a lot of things on the list that haven't come together for this team. That's it. That's 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 the problem. And I think that some people are looking at it, and you know, the the other thing that gets my goat is when people are like, "You're negative. This is being negative. This is negative talk." And I go, "I'm just trying to say what we're seeing here and and what is actually there." Because if you just look at the standings, for example, it it feels very familiar, right? Leafs are third in the Atlantic. That's where they like to be, you know, second or third in the Atlantic is sort of the Leafs calling card over the last, uh, all the seasons, right? That's their move. It's the new, uh, it used to be the Leafs were ninth or 10th in the Eastern conference and never bottoming out and also not making the playoffs. And now the new version of that is sit in second, sit in third, and maybe you'll end up getting there. Yeah, I think that's that's actually a really good point is if you would say, hey, what are the overwhelming positives this season? You would say, well, man, Austin Matthews looks just completely back as a goal scorer. That's more important than anything on the team. And I would say, yep, I agree. Wow, you've really gotten one hell of a season from William Nylander in a contract year. Well, it's not a contract year anymore. It's uh, it's, uh, it's that, that motivation's gone. He's got his money, so... Whatever you think that's worth, I think it's worth something. Uh, all right, that's your second positive. Is William Nylander looks like the step that he took last year is very real, and you're doing that. What's the third one? It's probably, hey, Martin Jones is really good for you, has been very, very solid for you. Wait, 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 wait. The third story of the season is that your number three goaltender is playing way above his head? That's not great. Like, that's not a great number three story to have. Me would probably say Morgan Riley's been brilliant. And, you know, he's actually just always criminally underrated because even this stretch, he's, I don't, I've got it written down for tonight's show. Uh, I think he's got seven points in his last six games, right? Is that, is that right? Anyway, it's something around, around there. And he's been a stalwart for them on the blue line. But yeah, like at, once you get deeper, once you get deeper, it's, it's not a lot of hits. It's not a lot of unanimously positive stories for this team. No, and, and the conversation around them has been, even going back to the summer, that they need help on the blue line, which they do, and that Tree Living wasn't happy with the blue line and wanted to make changes, and it, it hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how they do that. 
I really don't. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how you take your first round pick going into next year and shop it for blue line help when the names that appear to be available right now are not great. And now you have Calgary once again doing their thing of pushing for the postseason. And if I'm them, I'm not moving off of one of my guys for anything other than like an extreme premium, right? Like why, why would you trade? Why would you trade Tanner? Well, Calgary's worried about getting caught with UFAs that won't sure. sign. So, you know, that that's the thing they're thinking about. They don't want to have an exodus of talent without getting anything back. So I, I, I it sounds like they're going to try and dance in both directions. They're going to try and push for the playoffs and maybe make some sort of move. But that's that's a really hard thing to do. And the fact that they haven't done it yet. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, let's, let me play devil's advocate. How do you not trade your first-round pick? I mean, it's going to be one of the last years – with this core group in their, in their, in their supposed prime, like if anything, think the degree of difficulty is harder next year. Tavares is going to be another year older. The the core guys are going to be making more money. Mm. Is next year a better chance? Like what's, what's going to be better? I mean, it, it feels, I can see people arguing, Oh, you know, two years from now, Tavares will be off the cap. And but what are you going to do? Punt two years. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you have to keep trying to win this year. I, uh, I, here's the worst part. I agree with you. But I also don't because I'm bitter and I'm sour about this. This is one of my things that actually upsets me a lot about the way that their contracts are structured. It's never just, hey, does this person deserve this percentage of the cap or whatever, something around this percentage of the cap or all the oxygen that we've taken up when it comes to the core four and whether it works and blah, blah, blah. It's this added layer of, well, every single year you have to be pushing assets out of your organization that you know are, are going to come back to bite you in the ass. And even this year where, like, I remember when the Nick Ritchie trade happened, right? It was, hey, it's just a second round pick, right? And hey, at least they got off that contract. And you go, okay, but those picks matter. And what happened this year? Maybe they could have gotten Tanev earlier. Maybe they are in on Tanev further down the line or at a cheaper price if they have their second round pick. And... I'm so tired of this team feeling that way of, well, you have to trade your first. You have to trade your first. There's a scenario this year. I think that people should be entertaining it. I I personally believe the Leafs are going to make the playoffs. I just, I do. I don't think that they're going to completely go into a disaster. I think that there is too much talent on the roster that they will find their way in. Plus they're just a good regular season team. They'll, they'll win. They will 91% chance of making the playoffs right now. Exactly. But, but I was just going to say, do I think it's a less than 10% chance that they miss? No. I, I think that there's pretty clearly a blueprint for if they miss. Like, boy, what happens if Martin Jones is bad? Like, what happens if Martin Jones regresses back to the sub-900 guy that we've seen from the last couple of years, right? What happens if Joe Wool comes back and he's not the savior or he gets hurt again considering he's a guy who gets hurt all the time? I, I think that there is a way to look at this moving forward and say, you, you could end up missing in that draft pick could end up being even uh, better than you thought it was mm-hmm. going to be. Like, I don't know. I, mm-hmm. I, I just, yeah. if you were telling me, hey, you're trading that pick or you're trading that prospect and it's bringing something in that really is materially changing things for you, I would go, all right. But the way that I feel today, and maybe it's recency bias, maybe I'm just being an idiot, is like, I kind of feel like they're closer to where the flames are, where you're, and that's why I keep saying it's 2020. You go to the deadline. If you feel like the team has shown you something extra, then you shop that first and you shop other picks. And if they're more of this, if they carry what we've seen through 41 games into, you know, 55 games, then I'm looking at stuff going, could we get something back for TJ Brody? Cause he looks old and he looks not like a top pairing guy. And is re- there really a gap between him and 
Simone Benoit at this point, which is shocking to say, but I'm, that's how I feel in my heart. When I watch these games, I don't feel like there's a material difference between those two players. Hey, can you get back an asset for somebody? Like that that's how I feel about the Leafs is that they're they're closer to the Flames than they are the, you know, the the Oilers. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I understand the fear of, you know, if they're hanging right there and they're only a couple points up on ninth place in the East, it. which is then how can you trade that first round pick? I mean, remember when they traded the first to get out of the Patrick Marlowe contract. Yeah. And then they, and then they miss, right. And then that pick is 13th overall and Carolina gets, gets Jarvis, Seth Jarvis, who's a, a really good young player uh, who would look really good on a, on a left wing line um, on a line for the Leafs right now. So that makes sense to me. I mean, you, they'd have to, they'd have to either, that's going to be the danger for them. Like they, they need the team to show more in order for them to, to do something before the deadline. Like they need, they need to be more solidly into a, even if it is third in the Atlantic, they need to be more solid, solidly in that position by the deadline. Mm-hmm. All, all I will say is again, if you think that this is too negative, this is through half of the season and you can say that there's been the Joe wool injury, but I don't think that they've gotten goaltending that has been crazy below what you would have expected from Joe wool. Right. You can say that the Samsonov games, that they could have had more Martin Jones and Wool splitting them, whatever. That's fine. But outside of that, that, that hasn't been a major storyline for the Leafs. If they were losing these games because they had bad goaltending, I would be on here going, they need to trade for a goalie. They need to swallow the price, whatever the hell it is. They got to figure something out. They got to call up Hill to be, this team is going to get reinforcements. And once they can get around, that, that hasn't been the story for this team despite them getting very, very, very poor goaltending from Samsonov. But your friend Jonas, like at The Athletic, at your site, put this list of, together for the Leafs. Uh, 25th with 13 wins and regulations that we went over, which is, uh, yeah, not good. The only teams that you're ahead of, Ottawa, Minnesota, Anaheim, Columbus, Chicago, San Jose, Montreal. Okay, so you don't think that's worth everything? They've only held a lead for 844 minutes, which is 19th in the NHL. They're 12th in goal differential. They rank 20th in goals against per game, 19th in expected goals defensively at five on five. And they have, uh, yeah, the 24th ranked penalty kill in the NHL. That's a long, mm-hmm. that's a laundry list of things to clean up. That's, that's not just like one or two things or a little bit more chemistry here. That's just a lot, a lot, a lot of holes. So I hope they end up shoring some of these things up. I'm not sure that they will. My next question to you though is out of all those things, do you think that part of it is coaching? Because right now it feels like there's a lot of there's a lot of hot seat talk, right? Sheldon Keith's seat, Sheldon Keith's seat, which is getting to a point where I'm like, wait, what? Can we have some other term for this? Can we have some other way of discussing it? But yeah, do you do you think that if they bring in another coach, something can materially change with this team? Should they be looking at that as an option right now? Well, I mean, I don't think he's a huge part of the problem right now, but the reality is, is if either tree living struggling to make a trade or he's on the fence about making a trade just because of where the team's at. Mm-hmm. That's one of, that's the easiest button to push. I mean, the, 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 what's Keith right now? He's like the fifth or sixth most tenured coach in the NHL. And he came in November, 2019 coaches don't last very long, you know, and part of it's the cap and it's hard to make moves. And part of it is teams get in this situation where they need a button to push to change something. And that's, like I said, that's the easiest thing for them to change. So, you know, the scenario I see where potentially the seat gets hotter to, to use your favorite analogy is if, is if they really struggle here. Like if they 
win only five of their next 10 or 11 games and they're playing a lot of really good teams, if they don't rise to that challenge, you could be looking at the standings and being, oh boy, you know, we're tied with Detroit and, you know, all of a sudden you're you're in the, the, the wild card mix with Philadelphia, Washington, Pittsburgh's been winning a lot lately and, and you're getting nervous. And that's when, you, if you can make a trade, that's when you might look at that. But like I said, I don't think that that's... I think if you put together a list of all the problems this year, like what number would Keith be? I think he'd be pretty low on that list. I totally agree. The only thing the only thing I'm saying here is how many of the issues can you point to and say, well, it could actually improve even a little bit if he's gone. And I would say some. I, w- I would say some. And uh, to me, again, to go back to blaming the core four, which I am in a lot of this because that is just the – if you're building the team and the premises that you can do get it done, like it, it shouldn't be shocking – that, hey, oh, wow, you, you have other guys down the lineup that aren't really working out or you have a thin blue line or you're thin in net. The, these are the byproducts of having that. Yes, it's great to have good talent. But when they went into this offseason, you and I have discussed this with O'Keefe, where part of it, I do believe, was settling down the organization, giving him that extension and saying, we're, we're all on the same page here. We're all moving in the right direction. But is this not the coach that they wanted? This is not the coach that they've all stumped for publicly and privately. And so now it's, it's if there's motivational issues, right, or if the voice is getting stale in the room, then you guys as players are complicit in this as well. Like, what do you want now? So now you want your third coach. You want another voice. Now you want someone that's going to be tougher on you to show up here. Sheldon Keefe, I, I think there's a... There's a view that he's like this big players coach that he is not tough on guys at all. I, I don't really get that that's the case, but whatever. It's like Craig Berube is going to come in here and all of a sudden the everyone's going to snap into line and play better defensively. I'm not overly convinced, but yeah, is, is there at least a name to you that you think right now they would be looking at and saying, hey, maybe we, we should pull the trigger on this person? Because I don't think yeah, it can be I mean- in-house. No, I think Barube is probably the one that makes the most sense just because he's won recently. And I'd have to dig deeper into kind of the defensive results there. I know Blues fans weren't weren't very happy with him by the end, and I know they were having troubles on their blue line. But, mm-hmm. I mean, the things you can point to with Keefe that usually fall on the coaching staff are, why is the penalty kill terrible? I mean, some of it's personnel, like they lost some of their penalty killers, but they shouldn't be this bad. Yeah, they shouldn't be bottom 10. They're terrible. Mm-hmm. They're terrible. Like they brought in Dean Chenoweth from from Carolina, and they always had the best penalty kill. Remember when they first brought Chenoweth in, and they were really, really good. And it's like he's still there. You know what's going on with this? And just defensively in general, I mean, that's got to at the end of the day fall on the coach, even if the personnel is not that well equipped to play a good defensive style. And I think one criticism you could make, I would make of of Keith over the weekend was. You look at that Colorado game, they get out of the first period. It was 3 nothing after the first, I believe, if, I, if I'm, my old man memory is holding up here. 3 nothing out of the first. Your best line's your third line, but you're up by three. So Keefe's math is, I don't feel comfortable playing that third line because they're not good defensively, and I don't want to give up this lead. But those were the guys that were going. I agree. They should have, if they didn't like the other lines, they should have scrambled some of those guys higher into the lineup. And I think there's just... There's a conservatism and there's there's a really a safeness to some of the things he's doing. You know, not wanting to play Hildeby or Samsonov against San Jose doesn't make sense to me. You know, that that's a team you could beat with anybody in net, you know, the way that those games went. 
but there's just there's just there's a fear because I think partly of the way they've played and where they are in the standings and what's at stake this season that they're being really conservative and they're they're scared to play some of the players who aren't great defensively and I think it's hurting them at times and I think they're making the wrong decisions in the lineup at times because they're afraid. I think that's a really good point. And I think that's actually right now, the most fair criticism of Sheldon Keefe is I think great coaches learn, like they adjust to their personnel, right? Like that, that's a, that's a across the sports calling card of great coaches. You're given the personnel and you say, all right, we're going to make the best out of it. How many guys have taken a real step forward this year under Sheldon Keefe, right? We just went through the positive storylines. Who do you feel like you're getting the most out of? Who do you feel as though, like, you know, I, I think that there's been re- some really good Domi games mixed in here, or there's some nights where he is absolutely going, and then you look down and he's playing 11 minutes, right? And you say, well, what did you what did you expect him to do? All because of exactly that fear. I don't think that Sheldon Keefe has gotten the most out of Brad Tree Living's guys. And if I was Tree Living and I was looking at my roster and saying, all right, it's not doing as well as I had hoped this season, of course. Are there some guys that are disappointing? Do I feel like we're a Stanley Cup contender? No. But that, that is the one part of the Sheldon Keefe thing that I say, here's the most interesting aspect of potentially moving off of him is, can you get more from the personnel that you have here, the talent that you have here, which is very clear with somebody else with fresh eyes that doesn't come in with those prejudices? Maybe, maybe. I mean, like I said, it's just, it's the easiest button to push, which is why teams do it all the time. So I'm, I'm not ruling out that they might do it. God, wouldn't it be so weird if they do it heading into the All-Star weekend, though? It's like, hey... <laughs> Welcome to Toronto, where we just fired our coach, and it's bad. <laughs> well, I can, yeah, I can see they probably. I mean, they're not going to do it like right the day before or something no. like that. But it's going to depend how they play. I mean, that's that's the bottom line here. You know, can they? They they had some better defensive performances. The game against Carolina, the game against LA. I mean, obviously it's Anaheim and San Jose, but they played well defensively there. They played well in the one game against Columbus. Like they they need to turn that corner because that's what they did last year, where you could point to it. And they had that skeleton crew on the blue line. It's like, here's what this coaching staff is doing. But yeah. this year, there's there's so many holes. And I think I think probably looking at Domi is probably the right. I mean, when when Domi gets traded to Dallas last year near the deadline, and he they weren't playing him ten minutes a game. I mean, he was third line center. Mm-hmm. You know, they had a deep playoff run. He he played a lot. And Domi is what he is. He's going to give things back on the other end. And I wonder if, like, just with the personnel that they've got, like, maybe they need to get just get a little bit more comfortable with him being what he is, and he's going to be a creator and a disruptor, and maybe they need to go back to trying him again with some of the big guys. I mean, they don't. He doesn't have. The, the last I looked, the the player that was fifth in scoring the least was Yarncroc, who's been playing on the third line almost all year, and it just shows how much of their offense is in the top four. Yeah. And with Tavares taking a big step back, it's really the top three. And if those guys don't produce in a night, they're not getting a lot. You know, they're not getting enough from Bertuzzi. They're not getting enough from Domi, in part because he's not playing. And there's, you know, Nyes is struggling. There's not a lot else of, there's not a lot of, a lot of other offensive points. Mm-hmm. And I know the Leafs are fifth or sixth or whatever in the NHL in scoring. They're generating offense. But if, if the way that this team is built is that they need to be first or second in scoring, not fifth or sixth. Totally. You know, they're going to they're gonna have to lean into that identity because that's what they got right now. Yeah. Um, I, I hate to, I, I can't do the criticize nice too much. I feel like way too much was put on his shoulders going into this season. Um, yeah, this yes. is a, yeah, it was just, Hey, look, nice played great in the playoffs. You go, boy, it's gonna be a rookie that has to now go through 82 games and is playing up the lineup and has to fit. It was a lot, but how much of this, 
honestly, do you think is Tavares and decline? Because he's he's had stretches of play. We've done this before, right? Like, what was it? A, was it a, last year where he started the year slow and we were having all the questions about whether he and Nylander can play together and whether he was done as a player and then you finish the season and you go, ah, oh, actually, it was a very much a Tavares season. But lately, you know, uh, hasn't been great. Hasn't been a great start to January which has included games against the Sharks where seven games, he's got three points and only one goal. Yeah. I mean, he's got, I think I sent you the stat is, I think he's got 15 points in 25 games, you know, Mm. on pace for lowest goal per game output in his career. The big thing that's fallen off for Tavares, if you look at the numbers is last year, he had put up a ton of offense on the power play. Yeah. And it really papered over how far back his even strength production had fallen. You know, if you look at even strength goals and points per minute for him last year, it was he was way down the list of players around the league. And you're paying him a lot of money, and he's your second-line center, and he's part of the engine that drives your team, or he's, he needs to be. And he really wasn't that last year at even strength. He really wasn't giving you a lot. You know, and, and he's part of, you see them struggling defensively. There's just, there's not, I, 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 there was, I saw there was a big debate online over who was out there at near the end of the game and against Detroit when they lost. But I, I feel like Sheldon Keefe doesn't think he has a lot of lines he can trust right now. And I think at times that Tavares line is one of the lines he feels like he can't trust. Well, yeah, you saw that so not only blended the lines. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, I, I don't know, with the way he skates and with how everything's fallen off for him at even strength, it does feel like he would be better kind of in the, the Stamkos role with what they've done in Tampa. But the problem for the Leafs is they don't have a lot of other options to play down the middle, you know, and it's why they tried the Nealander thing out in training camp for four seconds, but they, in an ideal world, they need another center and they need to have the option that Tavares isn't always your number two center. Yeah, I, I agree. But this is why to me, I'm sticking with these blended lines for a little while longer. I want to take a mm-hmm. longer look at the Domi Marner pairing. Yep. I agree. Like that, that's one where if you're saying, Hey, all right, you're, you're going to put, you're going to embrace the personnel we have. These aren't changing over the next month and you need to win these games, play Domi more, play him with Marner, who he's shown some flashes with and see if you can just rely upon those guys to create offense for you. But I don't even care who stays on the left wing with them, but yes, balance out your roster, try to see how it works this way and exhaust all of the options and, and try it for the next week and a half because I think that's going to determine it is, hey, do do things change? Do things get better? Do you feel like some of these guys are starting to take a step forward and that your roster looks a little bit more balanced and powerful and threatening against some really good teams? Awesome. If you get embarrassed by what, I think it's five of their next six games are against Canadian teams, right? Yeah, because it's Oilers, Canucks, uh, Flames. Vancouver, Seattle, Winnipeg, Winnipeg. Two two Jets games. I I think out out of those games... You, you got to win, you got to win three, you got to win three. Like you, you go sub 500 in those. And I think that's where you say, all right, new coach. It could be. And I, I, I think the thing that Keith is going to be worried about here is going with those blended lines on the road is a different proposition than at home sure where is. you can feel safe and you can protect people. And, you know, you're going to have, you go Domi and Marner on a line, they're going to be up against, they're going to be up against McDavid or Dreisaitl for sure. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to happen. This is Charlie Montoyo though. Go, you go out West 
And if you do well, you come back home. You don't? Enjoy a vacation out there maybe a little while longer but before you return to the city. That's the way that I think things are going. Um, all right. I think that's it for me because you agree with me on sticking with the blended lines. So uh, that's it for today. I wasn't too – I think that was fine. I don't think that was too negative. We just said possibly No, I don't, I don't think it's time for all-out panic right now about Here's this team, I. but they certainly haven't inspired anyone to think that this is the year that – They've had a lot of regular seasons better than this one and fallen short in the playoffs. So if they, why would anyone really truly believe in this team right now? Well, here, this is the way that I can summarize it because this is the way that I've been thinking about it is when this offseason happened, so much of it was, well, the Leafs need secondary scoring, right? It was, they've gone in the playoffs and they've had this formula where they Mm -hmm. try to be a really tight defensive team. Why don't you bring in some more offensive players, the Bertuzzi's and the Domi's and the Klingberg's, and I know he's out, but I'm just saying that the the big premise was get more scoring around these guys, take some of the pressure off of these guys. And you've gotten brilliant seasons from two of your top three, and I think a good season from Mitch Marner, one that's, again, just really underrated because Marner just does not resonate with his fan base, and he never gets the proper credit. He doesn't score a lot of goals, right? And when he disappears, he's completely vanishes from hockey games. I get it. But overall, your three top guys have been everything you want and more. Everything you want and more. The rest of the roster has just not given you the secondary scoring. The blue line doesn't score. The other guys don't score. And I think some of it is opportunity with the coach. Some of it is the personnel. Some of it is the situation put in. But it's like, okay, so you haven't gotten better offensively, which was clearly the plan. Have you gotten better defensively? No, you've taken no. a huge step back. Have you gotten tougher no, <laughs> like what you think this is a tough team. Do they, do these guys look really tough. They play for one another. Uh, no. Do they fold? Uh, yeah, they do. So what, what were your hallmarks of success? Uh, so far you're hitting none of them other than the one thing that you always have basically down on in pen, which is that your top three younger players are awesome. And now there's more cause for concern about Tavares as you outlined. And I'm, I'm with you, but yeah, what, what, what else have you accomplished? Not much. That's pretty. That's a pretty tough marker. That's a pretty tough way to look at this, and that's why. And if you're doing the report cards, yeah, I will. I will verbally say it. It's a C plus. Uh, yeah, I would say at best. And this, yeah. this is going to be a huge two weeks for this team. Their schedule gets really tough here, and they need to. They need to show if there's something more there or not. I agree. James Myrtle, senior managing editor at the Athletic. Talk to you next week, brother. Thanks, JD. See ya. Um, I don't know what you would even want to say about the Leafs that is counter to most of the things that were said here today. Like, their their most positive storyline outside of their top guys has been Martin Jones and maybe Simone Benoit. And, and I'm counting Morgan Riley in the top guys because we... we it's just hard to do because core four sounds so good. It's so core four. <laughs> the core four is actually quickly becoming Marner, Matthews, Nylander, and Riley. Yeah. Not Tavares. Tavares, I think people are too quick to criticize him at times. That his contract has basically been something people go at since year two of him being here. Um, I think a lot of what he does is often underappreciated. I think that he has actually had to sacrifice with the power play and the adjustments that they've had to make with it. I don't think that it's like, oh, he suddenly became a bad power play player. He's, he's losing points, and this is a guy whose entire career has gotten those points. But you're clearly not getting 
you're clearly not getting anything close from him that you're getting from the other three guys. So, or the other four guys. So yeah, having him be the core four or core five, or whatever it's, it, it's just not, it, it's not the same, but yeah, that, I think that Myrtle nailed it is the, I don't, there's a lot of areas on this team that I don't put on the coach. There are some things I think that are extremely frustrating, like the hate to lose factor from the core, the feeling of the passivity within the group that you would want them actually to play for their head coach and say, no, this is the guy that we backed. This is supposed to be our coach. We don't want Craig Berube here. We're going to play for this guy like our hair's on fire. I haven't seen some of that. But the other thing that the case against him is it's, it's been a long, you've had a long runway. A lot has happened. Coaches have been fired for less. But also how many guys have, how many guys this year have played either even at their standard or taken a step. I'm not a huge, for example, Nick Robertson guy. I think that Nick Robertson clearly had to learn to improve some elements of his game. But I think of him when we're talking about this coach, because when he gets in there, he's desperately back checking and he's trying so hard to make a play defensively. And he's trying so hard to do the things that he's not really supposed to be. How many times are you just feeling like he's playing free flowing, some free flowing offense or that the pucks on his stick in a, in a good position or that he's getting a little bit of power play time. These that's, that's who he is. That's what he was supposed to be is a big shot. who could provide you with offense and you're trying to turn him into a checker. I love it. Anyway, uh, before we take a break, come back and I, I, I need to wrap up with a thought on the Eagles before we talk to, we talk more bills. Eric Wood. I actually have Raptors thought too that I'm going to try to sneak in there too from last night. Uh, the dynamic duo, bad friends with Andrew Santino and Bobby Lee head to OLG stage at Falls View Casino on April 6th and we're giving away tickets all week long. To enter, all you need to do is tune into episodes of this podcast, the JD Bunkers podcast this week. If you want to subscribe and review, you do all those things. It's very nice. You can leave five stars. Good person, probably good karma for winning this, this contest. I've heard that it really helps. But you listen to the code word, then you text the code word to 590-590. Today's code word is Bobby. So text Bobby to 590-590 right now for your chance to win. And again, we'll be giving tickets away tomorrow. But if you don't win, then you can go to ticketmaster.ca. You can buy tickets there. Again, I highly recommend it. The podcast is hilarious. These are two of the funniest comedians on the planet. I, I think that, yeah, you would absolutely not regret going to this show. Anyways, quick break. Come back. Uh, the Raptors are more fun. They're, they're funner. They're more better in some ways. In others, not so much. And then, yeah, uh, the, the one move that, the, that absolutely unequivocally has to happen after this weekend of football. Again, I know I'm really interested in this Raptors team now because it's football and they got priority viewing. Granted, the Bills kicking the teeth in the Steelers. And I know, my, it was funny. My mom was texting me going. She, uh, she was, for some reason, really cheering for the Bills. She was very invested oh, in the okay. Bills. And, uh, Is she nor- she's not normally a Bills fan. I've never gotten a text from my mom before about football, oh, period. Nice. Other than hey. maybe something about my brother's team, the Ravens, if they do something well, or about the Seahawks. But it's been a while since I've had anything Seahawks-related sure. that would have entered her orbit. <laughs> uh but yeah, I, I don't think that the game was close even when Pittsburgh scored. Even no. it, it, It's funny because it, it felt like it was supposed to be a close football game when Steelers made it a one-score game, right? Even before... I don't, but it on. never... Yeah. It, it, you know what? It was also the classic Steelers thing of like, 
awful, awful, mm-hmm. awful. And then like this mini surge, like that's how they won most of their games was they were terrible for mm-hmm. the first three quarters and then squeaked out some garbage. Anyway. Yeah. The Raptors though, I'm watching the game and I was thinking they're really, they're, they're really dialed in. They're trying to give the Celtics a punch. It's a back and forth game. It was an entertaining game. It was a really good mm-hmm. game. And the Raptors don't have Jakob Pertl, who obviously would help the defense. He's one of their more important defensive players when they lose him. It's just, it's it. I don't necessarily miss Yak a ton, but you, it's the guys behind him make some of the rotations pretty difficult, oh, yeah. especially defensively. They go real small sometimes because uh-huh. they have to. It's tough. But I, the game ends and I'm sitting around last night. I'm going, I was thinking, damn. Raps just the Celtics just bullied them. They the offensively, like they just the Celtics were getting whatever they want. They shut the they shut the hell out of the basketball. Mm-hmm. Raptors couldn't hit threes, and the Celtics hit threes. And I went, all right. Still, it feels like a lot of games with the Raptors getting scored a ton on. <laughs> and then I go read Granger's piece, and he says through seven games now with their new lineup, the Raptors are twenty eighth in defensive rating, allowing one hundred twenty four point seven points for hundred possessions. Oh my god! Even by new NBA standards, that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah, exactly. It's just. <laughs> uh, he also pointed out that the Knicks have now the best defensive or best defensive league with OG in the starting lineup. Yeah, this is a good point, by Grinch. Anyway, uh, it. I'll take this any day of the week. Having the way more entertaining offensive team, yes. having RJ Barrett be able to pour it in quickly is just so fun. I talked. I, I recorded an interview with Ariel last night after the Bills. I wanted to get it while it was fresh, and we talked a little bit about the Knicks trade and. I, I listen. I, I I really like R.J. Barrett, but there is just something about quickly that it, there, he's got it factor. All, oh, for sure, all yeah. the way through. Like yeah. you watch quickly, and it's just he's he's one of the first Raptors in a while that has me doing the like yes all the time. Yeah, nice, yeah. nice. Even in ways Barnes has that too. But yeah, boy, sure. quickly is just so fun. Well, and part of it is like. It's the unknown, right? Like, mm-hmm. let's be real. We know what RJ Barrett is, mm-hmm. right? And which is a good, which is a good player and all that. But mm-hmm. like, quickly still has that bit of like, oh, yeah, if, that's a big part. If of it. stuff breaks well, like, what mm-hmm. could he be? Which is just, you know, fun, fun. Yeah, it's just fun. <laughs> uh, Bills have to exercise the demons next weekend. Eric Wood knows this team very well. Played with a lot of these guys. Let's see if he thinks that. It's going to be different this time around. That's next. My biggest takeaway from Bill's Steelers yesterday is that I'll think about that family and that dad that was up in the 300s looking like uh, a dwarf from Game of Thrones. Yeah, like oh, no, not, not Game of Thrones. What? Lord of the Rings. It's like a big Lord of the Rings vibe where they're, you know, when they walk on the side of the mountain yeah. in one of the Lord of the Rings, I think it's the first one. They're like in the snow and it's the blizzard and it's the the, the dwarf like on top of the snow, yes, but the guys are just they're just grinding through, through it. <laughs> that was that Steelers fan trying to get to his seat. The weirdest critique was the fans. I saw people tweeting, "How dare the Bills not clear the all the stadium for these?" And I was like, "Okay, just maybe relax, just yeah. touch." They had a blizzard and Bigger they had people to come there and they couldn't clear all the seats. Relax. Anyway, uh, Eric Wood former Pro Bowl center and host of Centered on Buffalo. What's up, brother? How are we doing? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Dude, good, man. You saw that Steelers fan, right? Um, I did not, but uh, there was oh. also a lot of Steelers. There's also a lot of Steelers fans complaining about 
the game getting moved and it was very oh, soft yeah. and this is the softest city in America as they were uh, <laughs> filming videos from downtown as the snow belt yeah. was over Orchard Park, which yeah. is not in the exact same area. So maybe those were the same people complaining then uh, that their seats weren't shoveled out for them. No, this dad rules. This is this Steelers fan rule. Maybe those guys stunk, but this, this Steelers fan ruled. He was just... Like it was a full up to, he's literally up to, I like over his stomach and he's just doing this like hip swivel move, creating a path for his kids to be able to get to their seats. It was great. I felt bad for him though, as the game was transpiring because I went, wow, you, you, you fought through all that snow to watch uh, this. I, I have to start with that though. Cause I will say this on television when I saw the field. And I went, boy, it looks balmy out there, right? It looks looks nice. I don't think I would mind it, especially after watching the Chiefs game. They had to make the decision because of the traffic and because of it being dangerous and uh, trying to get down to the stadium. I get it. But did you want a little bit more of the elements to be at play in this one? Do you, like, you're a Buffalo guy. You played for the Bills. It's supposed to be a big home field advantage for them. Did you Did you want to see a little bit more of the elements with this football game? Well, from a competitive standpoint, no, yeah. because the Bills were a you know a nine and a half or ten point favorite. The least amount of factors that can you know equalize those teams, the better. And so, by the time they did kick off, the wind wasn't much of a factor. It yeah. was you know thirteen degrees, maybe a single digit wind chill, but all in all, not terrible weather where you can operate on both sides of the ball in a normal fashion. I talked to Joe Brady, the offensive coordinator for the Bills throughout the week, and he was saying, "Look, in a game like this, you almost have to." prepare two completely different game plans. One, like you're preparing for a normal Steelers game with no elements and one where you're likely not able to throw the football down the field. Maybe there's some quick game to the outside, but majority of it's going to be a run game. So the fact that they got to operate from a competitive standpoint in a normal fashion was big for the bills. And you saw it, they came out and Josh came out fire and rips the touchdown to Dawson Knox in the first possession, where if it's a, uh, almost a whiteout in there, that's probably not happening. So, uh, you know, speaking of the cold weather, it's my, it was funny. My producer, uh, we were talking about guest ideas for next week, and he goes, well, it's tough with the Buffalo game because you can't really predict the weather. And I went, I think you can. I think uh, late January in Buffalo, it's going to be cold. Again. It's not, it's not going to suddenly change. We're going to get an early spring in January. Um, do you think that the Bills are a, a cold-weather team? Because it's funny, they, they, when they drafted Josh Allen, it was, hey, this guy can play in all conditions, and you see that part of it, but they're definitely more of a, of a finesse passing team than a lot of the other, I would say, like, yeah, grimy teams like the Steelers were looking like. like that was why we thought the Steelers had a chance. And now they have this running game that looks way better with James Cook. How do you feel about them just as a, an all-elements team against another really good opponent coming up here in the Chiefs? Well, you helped me make my point for me when you followed up at the end. I thought I thought that was going to be your initial point that the Bills aren't built for these cold weather games, and and I believe over these last few years, as you're kind of building this team around Josh Allen and Brandon Beans, assembling it, you know, over the years they've invested more uh, along both the fronts to be better equipped in these cold weather games. And look, you draft Josh Allen to play in games like yesterday. He's got monster hands, huge arm. He's big. He's physical. He could run and use his legs if need be, and the elements, elements dictate that. So he's almost your prototype cold-weather quarterback. He also played his college ball in Wyoming, so he's used to playing in the cold. And then you mentioned it. I mean, people can say what they want about this Bills team being a finesse team, but over this six-game win streak, they've relied heavily on the ground game. James Cook, um, and I've really liked what I've seen from 
Ty Johnson at times too. And then they're using Josh Allen more in the run game as well. And so you combine all that and the bills in both yards per carry and yards per game are top 10 in the league. And, you know, throughout the week, we're talking about this physical Steelers team and they are, they still have that element to them and any Mike Tomlin coach team likely will, mm-hmm. but this is a Bills team that has ran the ball more effectively than this year. than then this year, and this is a Steelers defense that was, you know, bottom half in the league in defending the run. Yeah, I feel like the James Cook development's been huge. And he's been an actual constant throughout the year, right? Like, this guy didn't start running the ball well when the Bills started winning games. He started, he's he been running the ball well all season long. And it's been something that I've been critical of the Bills in the past is I just felt like, man, if your best rusher is Josh Allen, and maybe he still is, but if you lean this much on Josh Allen in the run game, it's going to come to bite you in the ass. And I loved how yesterday... When they needed a drive, they said, yeah, Josh going to run the ball too, but we're also going to hand this thing off to James Cook, and you felt good about it. That That is one of the most, I think, consequential things in terms of me feeling differently about this Bills team heading to or playing against Kansas City than in the past. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. I mean, James Cook gets drafted in the second round last year out of Georgia, and you, know, you saw him split out wide a lot. We thought, okay, he's going to be the complimentary back to somebody else, but he's going to be dynamic in the passing game. And the way he's developed with his vision and his pace and his timing and being able to read the blocks of the offensive line, I mean, it's as a former offensive lineman, it's fun for me to watch because there's times where, yes, there's times where this offensive line springs him. And, you know, for a better part of the year, James Cook had the most yards per carry uh, before contact in the league. So the offensive line's doing a good job. They're scheming up good plays. There's also times where James, James Cook gets five, and it probably should have been a two-yard loss. And that's where good running backs can – you know, get you back to that during one of the calls yesterday. James Cook gets back to the line of scrimmage in second and 10, but it likely should have been a loss of four. Second and 14 is a lot harder to call plays as an offense coordinator where you're saying, okay, maybe we just try and get half of this yardage back, make it an easier third down. But no, James Cook has been an absolute weapon uh, throughout the season. I almost, you know, he gets the Pro Bowl nod, and I'm glad he got voted in. Uh, but they've taken so many touchdowns away from him in the red zone by putting in Latavius Murray, letting Josh Allen run it in. I believe he's got like, two touchdowns on the season rushing Uh, could have been a few more, but uh, I'm sure he's not too mad about it when you stack wins like they are right now. So you mentioned, you know, your your chat with Joe Brady and the way that he's uh, or the way that he approached this week's game. They're six and six after week 12. A lot of people are writing them off. Um, It's full panic time Uh, in Buffalo. The narrative is that the window is closed and that this thing's completely over. And then there's some ugly wins in there, right? And there was reasons to say, all right, how much has changed when you have the game like against the Patriots, right? Or the Chargers game where they should be putting teams away more. It should be more of a convincing win, but they're still finding ways to get it done. What, what do you think the biggest change was for this team after week 12? Like, like what has changed on the field for them that has allowed them to just go on this run and start to rip off wins and have us feel like they're one of the most dangerous teams in the NFL again? Yeah, that's a great question. You can point to a number of things, you know. Um, I feel like they've dedicated more uh, to the ground game, let James Cook take over games that time, did not put so much on Josh Allen and Diggs. They've spread the ball around more. Uh, this this offense, um, while the EPA numbers and all that may uh, tell you it's very similar production under Ken Dorsey, the specific uh, game plan specific plays where they're taking advantage of mismatches or different schematical things that married to something week to week, I think Joe Brady's doing a great job. I also believe that the further you got away from weeks four and five and all those injuries on the defensive side of the ball, Sean McDermott 
got more and more creative on the defensive side of the ball, understanding the personnel that he had left. So then they were playing better. And then, you know, you have a hearty punt return for a touchdown. You have uh, Sam Martin winning AFC Special Teams Player of the Month in December. So they, they peaked in uh, really all three phases at the right time, even though they all weren't in unison for all of that, you know, five-game win streak to end the season. But, you know, you can point to ugly, ugly wins against the Chargers and Patriots, and, you know, the law of average is often comes back around in the NFL, and you have ugly losses early in the season where you lose – late to the Patriots on a late-game drive, and you lose with 12 men on the field against Denver. And so, you know, for every time we point to maybe some fortunate uh, things happening at the end of the season and get them a couple extra wins to get that two seed, you can also point to some pretty bad luck early in the season, whether that's self-induced or just bad luck. You can point to those as well. Okay, so speaking of bad luck, though, this is the one thing that's hard to overlook from this game. Did the Bills win? Yes. Did the James Cook look great? Yes. Um, but the defense, dude, there's so many injuries now. I think that my one Bills fan buddy texted me that it, they might be going in next week without their best four corners and their best four linebackers. Do you think they get any of these guys back for this game? How do you think that they can, yeah, try to compensate for that against Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes? Yeah, it's going to be tough. And, you know, if one side of the ball gets banged up, the other side's got to step up. So you think, okay, the offense is going to have to carry this team against a really good uh, Chiefs defense as well. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm with that sentiment that many people have. You know, as excited as I was about the win yesterday, I was almost sick to my stomach leaving the stadium thinking about all of the injuries on the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, this team's peaking at the right time, and you just get some crucial injuries uh, yesterday. Rasul Douglas did say after the game yesterday that, he believes he'll play next week against the Chiefs, which would be great when you consider how well Rasheed Rice played on the outside last week for Kansas City. Um, and then we'll have to see on the other guys. Taron Johnson, he left and went to the tunnel, evaluated for a head injury. He, you know, it's, it's uh, I'm I'm watching from the booth, but um, he definitely didn't seem in bad spirits out there to where um, it looked extremely serious. But uh, I don't want to speculate on any of these, but. Um, yeah, they, they came at a, a, a terrible time when uh, right in the middle of this run and you get ravaged by injuries. Yeah, it, it feels a little bit like what the Dolphins were going through at the end of the year. And yeah, uh, it just it, you hit a point where you go, all right, is this is this too many bodies to lose? Right. Is this just we, we can't overcome it. So, yeah, you hope that the offense shows up and that they're able to. Yeah, just keep the pace with the Chiefs and that it ends up being a shootout. But, boy, yeah, uh, that was that was a tough one yesterday. Okay, so the, the last part of the Chiefs matchup anyways. Um, you know these guys. Uh, you know them well. You've been around them a lot. How big is the psychological element going to be facing Kansas City? Because there, there has been very much a, a big brother element to this. We've seen regula- or regular season wins where... The Bills have looked awesome against them, and they've looked, uh, yeah, like they, they they would celebrate some of those wins pretty massively. But, yeah, how how big is that going to be heading into this game? And, yeah, especially on a – does the short week help? Like you don't have as much time to think about it? Is that the one area where the short week actually helps you? Uh, potentially. Uh, maybe it eliminates, you know, one to two extra days with the outside noise. And, you know, this is a Bills team that is confident against the Chiefs. And they've lost tight games in Arrowhead in the playoffs. And um, and then in the regular season, they've had their number. Patrick Mahomes comes in here to play in Highmark Stadium in, in front of fans for the first time in his career. And that could play a factor as well. I mean, 
just the way the NFL scheduling works and this way it's shook out and with playoff seating, Bills keep going to Arrowhead. Well, you know, there's, there's a, that's a, that's a factor in the reason that Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid have been so successful in the playoffs is just like Hallmark Stadium, Arrowhead is a monster to go in and play. I mean, it's, it's as loud of a stadium as there is in the league. I was talking about, you know, some stadiums are louder than others, but once you're over a certain threshold, you really can't communicate well out there anyways. And so anything else on the top of that is pretty much just a bonus. And Kansas City and Highmark Stadium are both those types of stadiums where until you get that crowd out of the game, if you can't sustain a drive, it's going to be really, it's going to be extremely difficult to communicate out there on the field. So, um, you know, this this team is different from the ones in the past. This Chiefs, this still seems different than this Chiefs team's different. But yes, I understand all the narratives uh, will be out there because I mean the Chiefs have had a stranglehold on the AFC uh, for a little while. Yeah, I, I that's that's the thing I'm kind of trying to nail down here though is how much of it is when when I see Josh Allen and again this is an outsider's perspective, but when I look at this guy I'm like this guy I don't think is phased by who he's playing. Like I don't think that he's thinking about ghosts of Kansas city past, but I've just, I've got to think that there's a part of it as a player of when things start to go poorly against you, right. Against a team that has beaten you that many times that that's where it's hard to keep the, the noises out. That's where it's hard to keep the voices from your head going, here we go again. It could, you know, and you know, I think back to times like the 13 second game when the bills were down two scores in the fourth quarter and they fight mm-hmm. back and take the lead. And, you know, it's fluky at the end. And, you know, I, I see your point. Uh, definitely. I will say this, you know, in the heat of battle out there, I don't think Josh is going to be thinking, here we go again, per se, especially when you're going up against a Steve Spagnuolo defense where you're yeah. going to the sideline each and every series trying to say, okay, where was that safety when they brought this pressure? Okay, we, let's try to identify that the next time. And so, um, but, but look, I mean, you, you make you great points there. And this is a Bills team that knows that, you know, if Cincinnati and Joe Burrow is healthy right now, it's likely going to be, and you could add the Ravens into this mix, but likely going to be one of those four teams for the foreseeable future with those four quarterbacks mm-hmm. that are advancing out of the AFC and the Bills have not done it yet. So there's, there's, there is pressure to get it done, especially when you get them in your own house this year. Yeah. Um, before you go, I, I got to ask you about uh, Jason Kelsey. Cause he announces his retirement. He's a guy that played your position. Um, again, you were also a pro bowler. But, yeah, what, what do you think about when you think of Jason uh, and, and his retirement? And, yeah, is, uh, wh- where do you put him amongst the greatest that you've ever seen play it? Uh, I think he's one heck of a player. It's always tough to compare, especially offensive linemen. Sure. Different schemes or different eras, but he's going to go down as one of the best to do it and one of the best to do it in, in many different ways. I mean, just an all-around 10 out of 10 person. I got to know him when we were – uh, we were in high or sorry, when we were in college, both Ohio guys, he went to the university of Cincinnati. I'm from Cincinnati. So uh-huh. he was buddies with a number of my high school teammates that went and played at UC. And so I've, I've known him for a long time. He's never changed. That's why the city of Philadelphia has embraced him so much. I mean, I don't know that I've ever seen an offensive lineman. And, and, and look, I say this from a point where my buddies can't believe how big of a deal I am in Buffalo is a, you know, <laughs> <laughs> okay, offensive lineman that played nine years. And so I say that he is so beloved in the city of Philadelphia and even around the country now, That's just it. the way that the Kelseys have kind of blown up on a national status. And nobody deserves it more because he worked his tail off. He comes to the University of Cincinnati as a walk on linebacker and ends up playing 13 years and he'll be a Hall of Fame center. And so just remarkable the work he's put in and it all paid off. You know, it's good to hear, like, you know him going back and that he is someone that hasn't changed because I, I think that what we we obviously have this huge celebrity culture, right, where 
people, they, they have these parasocial relationships where they think they know someone, right? Because of their social media, because of what they're like in a commercial. Um, but I will say that Jason Kelsey is one of those guys that when I see him, for example, yesterday on the sideline and he looks extremely emotional, he seems to just be a very genuine dude. Like that there, there isn't some facade there with him that he's not overplaying that element of his personality that he's not over, you know, he's not putting on a show for people that he is just who he is. He's damn good at football. That's very clear, but it's the, the personality stuff that I think has vaunted him into being, yeah, one of the most famous offensive linemen ever, like beyond just the podcast and beyond his brother, like going back to the Philadelphia celebration, right? Where he wears the, what was it? The gesture suit. Like there's does seem to be something about this guy that resonates deeply with people. And and I think it does go to some of what you're talking about. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And and look, this isn't a guy that came like I, I respect him and how he earned his celebrity status because it's it wasn't coming as a first round top fifteen center. He was a what, a six round draft pick. And so he earned it every step of the way. And he was just real in, you know, cities like Philadelphia, cities like Buffalo, these tougher cities they appreciate you know a blue collar dude like a jason kelsey manning the pivot not glorious position and then they give him the microphone after the super bowl and he goes and puts on a show and shows off a little bit of his personality that (laughs) probably was hidden uh you know a little bit of the goofier side and all that he he shows off that and in the proper moment he showed it off after they won a super bowl he didn't show it off um you know uh, you know, maybe as a, a rookie trying to get attention. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, hey, Eric, again, thanks for the time today. Again, if people want to listen more to Eric, listen to the Centered on Buffalo podcast. Again, former, yeah, you're better than all right, okay? You made a Pro Bowl, so relax on that. Uh, thanks for making time, brother. It. Thanks for making time. Yeah, my pleasure. Take Anytime. Care. See you, man. Eric Wood. Uh, that's always how you actually know someone's good, isn't it? They're like, I was all right. You're like, yeah, pretty, <laughs> pretty good player. Yeah, pretty good. I'm actually going to get to also talk to Jeff Saturday this week. So it's center week. You know, Jason Kelsey retires. Got Eric Wood on. Yeah. Got Jeff Saturday previewing the games. Give some love to the hog mollies. Yes. <laughs> love it. <laughs> yeah. You know what Okay. This is, this is a weird one, but I'm, I'm not even joking. Jason Kelsey is one of my favorite players oh, in yeah. all of sports. I, I'm a huge Jason Kelsey. When I saw him on the sideline yesterday, like when he's going over his family, I'm like, that's an awesome moment for you, Jason. I don't, it, it just, there's so many people who try way too hard now in today's oh, media sure. climate. And I, I'm genuinely not trying to trash his brother, but you know, his brother's like a show we do. He fake spikes the Super Bowl thing. He dates, yeah. you know, it's funny. The balance of those two guys really works out, but he's dating Taylor Swift and he's out there and just, he does reality television yeah. shows. And with Jason Kelsey, it just always feels like everything is supernatural and that you're not, and not supernatural in terms of uh, the mystic. It's just <laughs> very natural. Yeah. He's a naturally likable guy. I'm the most jealous normally of those people because I go, how? How are you just, everybody loves you. Everybody likes you. Nobody has a bad word to say about you. But it feels like he checks the leadership box. He's incredibly dedicated to his position. He's amazing. He cares deeply. Yeah. And every interview, reco- any every interview he does, he just seems like, like just a down to earth kind of humble guy, but it's real that it's not a put on. It's like, uh, I don't want to say this because make people mad. You got to say it now. I, I do. You absolutely but, have to. Uh, <laughs> Cause I, I, I want to say, I love this guy. Okay. I'm also a fan of this guy, 
But you know when you see Stone Cold Steve Austin, he's like, welcome to Rattlesnake Ranch or whatever. He's yeah. like, I'm Stone Cold Steve Austin. And he seems like a good dude too. He's, but it's like he's putting on a little bit of a persona. He's still doing yeah, Stone little. Cold I think Steve like Austin, a little bit, right? Sure. It's like I'm a down-to-earth country guy. It's like you're living at a billion-dollar ranch. Like I don't relate to you at all. Stone Cold's sick, though. Jason Kelsey is this is parasocial <laughs> relationship 101. But it's like who doesn't feel as though they could be friends with that guy? Yeah, yeah. You know, it, there's two things too. Like I think a lot of people would say like, I think I think a lot of people would say they like Jason Kelsey, and I sure. think for some people it's like in spite of his brother, you know what I mean? Yeah. Which says a and lot he plays too. for the Eagles. Which a lot of teams, and then the other thing is a couple of weeks ago we were talking about uh, universal approval rating. Yeah, he's one of those guys. Oh my yeah. God, is he one of those guys? Yes. I can't picture, like I can't picture talking to buddies in the You know who I hate? Yeah. Jason Kelsey. Yeah. Like I can't Even picture that at all. Even a Cowboys fan listening to this right now, like, we gotta talk. We gotta talk to our friend Matt Hayes. No, he he's in Jason down. Kelsey. He's in a. Here's here's the thing. Give it a week. You can't talk to Cowboys <laughs> fans right now. Give it a they're week. They're in a deep dark hole. But uh, you know what? Actually, I, they're I'm, all doing the thing that real sports fans do, which is I don't think I. I think it's changed for me. I don't. Uh, my buddy Jordy was doing that. He <laughs> texted me. He went. I just think I, I might. I, I, it's not going to be the same moving forward. I, I just don't think I'll care the same way. Yeah, yeah no. So it's it just, we're in our 30s now. It's done. <laughs> you know, the, the, as, you will care that much. As You're Caesar, 35 years as old. Julius Caesar, the die is cast. <laughs> <laughs> when he crossed the Rubicon, the die is cast. All right? You've already crossed it. The Rubicon has been crossed, sports fans. You're not quitting the team. You can try to pretend you are. You're, you're not doing it. All right? Just Blue Jays fans are in that same spot right now. A lot of quitters out there. <laughs> to see you know limp into the stadium this season oh, i guess i'm back here yeah, you'll be back game 74 hmm. guess i'm only here because uh, it's a fun place to be opening up a two-game <laughs> yeah. set with the pirates you'll be there i only watch it because it's it's easy to have on the background yeah, okay <laughs> sure 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 yeah you're right though jason kelsey is definitely in the universally liked all-stars it's like jason kelsey jamal crawford like mm. i gotta do a hall of fame list of this someday of yeah. guys where it's like yeah if if you were watching a game and you were at a bar and you were with a group of people, if someone decided to say good riddance, right? Like last night, Jason Kelsey, say he's crying on the sideline. Yeah, yeah. And one of the guys at the bar goes, what a cry, baby. Or, Thank God crocodile. I don't see this guy. Or yeah, crocodile <laughs> tears. Or I'm so sick of this guy. Everyone else turns and shut up. Get out. Right? Get out Go. of here. Right? Not even <laughs> Eagles fans. I got to do that list someday. But he's definitely up there. It's like Mark on this off the top of my head right now. Well, because that's actually how it started, isn't it? Because we were yeah, talking Mark about Andre Flurry. Flurry. Yeah, Because yeah, yeah. Flurry is definitely there, right? Yeah. Flurry Made is. Hit, uh, passed Wall for number two last night on the wins. Flower. Yeah. I said to, when I was told that stat, my, McKee sent me a text about it and I went, it's a, that's a Sidney Crosby stat. No offense to Mark Andre oh, Flurry. Yeah, that's yeah, a Sidney yeah. Crosby stat. It's another one that goes on his resume more so than it does go on uh, Flurry's resume. Imagine that there and announcing Sid's Hall of Fame thing, and they're like, and yeah. got Flurry the second most wins all time. I would say the universal approval rating all-stars, like top four off the top of my head right now, mm-hmm. Marc-Andre Flurry, mm-hmm. Jamal Crawford. Again, who, is there yeah. anybody, would you push back on that in terms no. of basketball players? Because Jamal Crawford also hasn't been in the, like I people would say, well, Shaq, and I would go, no, because... Shaq was so dominant. People hated him when he was with the Lakers. I was going to say people hate the Lakers. Yeah, people love Shaq now because of media Shaq, right? But he's also, he's been too, the the key to this is that you can't be too around the media all the time. And Jason Kelsey has been just close enough because of Travis, but remove the, like, he's got the perfect foil with him. He's people, Travis attracts all the heat of the haters. Yeah. And he just gets to be the likable of the brothers, right? yeah, yeah. 
He gets all he. It doesn't matter if he does too many commercials, anything like that. People almost don't get sick of him because they see Travis more. So part of it is you can't be too dominant because if you are, then you become polarizing. This was the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You have to be just in that sweet spot of Hall of Fame level good. And Jamal Crawford, I made the exception for because I think he's the greatest six man in NBA history. And in the NBA Basketball Hall of Fame, it's a very different. Yeah, yeah. Like, do I think Jamal Crawford wasn't better than Mitch Richmond? Come on. Mitch Richmond's in the Hall of Fame. Come on. Come on, everybody. Uh, Mitch Richmond catching strays well, on the Jamie Well, I'm sorry, but he's the lowest guy, and so he's the bar for me. So he, yeah, always, yeah, okay, whenever sure. people go, is Kyle Lowry a Hall of Famer? He's I better go, than Mitch Richmond. <laughs> I, I would say, yeah, I don't really think Kyle Lowry is a Hall of Fame player in by the standard that I keep for all Hall of Fames, which is, were you the best at your, were you one of the best three guys at your position for uh, at least five to six years? Will that, people in 20 years think yeah, of you Yeah, and people as, here, yeah. you'll be a Hall of Famer. It's like, so Jeff Saturday, for as a, I, I checked because of the interview, he's uh-huh. in the Colts ring of honor, but he's not in the Hall of Fame. He's one of the best centers ever, uh-huh. but he's not a Hall of Famer. And that's the kind of application I would think is like Lowry is absolutely unequivocally the, the statue guy for the Raptors right now. He's the number one. He's the greatest Raptor of all time. But is he a Hall of Famer by top three standard? No. Is he a Hall of Famer by, by Mitch, Mitch Richmond, Richmond, NBA standards? 100%. <laughs> he's getting in. And the NBA also does factor in weirdly the what team he played for and impact outside. And so Lowry it's the checks basketball the ball. Hall of he, Famer. Yeah, exactly. So Lowry gets in, all right? All I'm saying is I don't think that he was a top three point guard in the NBA for five plus years. Yeah. I think that he was very, very, very good. He's one of my favorite players ever. Yes. Someone's going to be mad about me saying this because people are psychos, but I'm just saying that. You're right. Yeah. He's, just, yeah. To, just to confirm, you yeah. are correct. He, I, it used to drive me crazy when people would be like, Lowry is Eastern Conference Chris Paul. I was like, no. no. <laughs> it's no. not. But we can, we can same, still fine. We can still love Lowry and we right. still do. But yes. Yeah. But. Okay, Mark Andre Fleury, Jamal Crawford, Jason Kelsey, and then I got to get a Curtis Granderson. Curtis Granderson, nice. I really love Curtis Granderson. Yeah, just trying to think of who gets to be the baseball player. He was a Yankee briefly, which always is a tough one to yeah. overcome. Yeah, I is. mean, we had when yeah, you were talking about this last that. time. No, we you can't be Ken a Yankee Griffey, or Red Sox. Yeah, yeah, but I'm. But yeah. then some. A lot of Yankees fans hate Ken Griffey, but yeah, I got to think about the baseball one. It's it's probably a, a glove man because then they only have sick highlights and then they never kill the team with their bat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's, I was, I'm trying to think of who that would be. Anyway, uh, let's do a quick break. Let's come back and hit what we missed. Christopher Stieg crying about my takes mid-show, so he'll be on tomorrow. <laughs> you do got a child and me, me, me. He'll have his opportunity to speak for himself tomorrow, so tune in for that. And also, tune into this show all the way until February. Because ahead of the 2024 Rogers NHL All-Star Game this year, we'll be giving away family four packs of tickets to the NHL Fanfare coming to Toronto on February 1st through the 4th. So just listen to the Daily Code Word on episodes of this show, which you should be subscribed to and you should be leaving five stars. You should be doing those things. Just be a good person. Be kind. Say something nice. Say something Say something nice. <laughs> And enter the code word. Today's code word is fanfare. As in, this is a fan fair. It's a fair for fans. Okay? You go into the fair. So it's a fanfare that you're going to. Not the way Simon would have spelt it. Uh, <laughs> our next code word will be in tomorrow's episode. And then if you want to go buy tickets to the fanfare, they're available for purchase at nhl.com backslash fanfare while supplies last. Said that word too many times. Whew, okay, what we miss? 
Okay, so we touched on it a bit yesterday, but Matt Stafford got booed in his return to Detroit on Sunday. Yeah. And then Detroit obviously got their first playoff win in 32 years. Yeah, awesome. My Lions. Stafford, who spent 12 seasons with the Lions, was asked post-game how he felt uh, for the for the Detroit Lions. So here it is. Sean McVay was up here. He said that he was happy for Jared Goff and whatnot through their time together. You've been here in Detroit for your first 12 seasons. Just mm-hmm. how do you feel about the city of Detroit? You know, now I'm happy for the players. Ooh. <laughs> okay, that's great. So, <laughs> yeah, if you can't hear it, he gets asked if he's happy for Detroit, and he says he's happy for the players. And I saw the video, too, by the way, where he looks pretty salty. I missed this one yesterday. So this is true what we missed is I'm delaying it a day. Uh, it made me think, is he being a huge baby? Or did Detroit fans actually go too far with the anti-Stafford stuff? Mm. And I think Stafford's being a big baby. Yeah. I think that's that. I, I want to be on his side. I get it because they made it so personal against Stafford. And I this is why I felt for Matt for a second. Can I call you Matt? Yeah. <laughs> you know, your friend, Matt. Well, yeah, my friend, Matt. Here's what I felt for him. I watched that clip the other day. He used to get brutalized. They Crushed. got this offensive line now. He's probably looking at them going, if, if y'all had that, and he says y'all because he's a Georgia guy. Yeah. If y'all had that offensive line in front of me, I'd probably be having a much longer career and maybe I'd still be a lion. I'd be, Calvin Johnson and I would have had a lot better time yeah. if we had the Lions talent and coaching than the ones that I received. But there's one clip, can't even, I, I already forget who they were playing, but he gets murdered. Crushed. Run over and he's on the ground fully. That dude's tough. I, Matt Stafford is tough as nails. Dude, he took and, that shot against Detroit yeah, and, and got, oh. Yeah. <laughs> it, shots like that make me go the concussion spotters <laughs> selective they're selective concussions I saw a man stare up completely blank at the sky I'm not a doctor but if that's not getting concussed yeah. I, I then none of us can ever weigh in on what nah, is you're fine. Yeah. Matt you're fine get out there but he takes a hit in that in this Detroit game and he gets up off the turf and he goes if you need me I can still throw the ball and they go and win this game and I'm like damn Matt Stafford was the man. And I used to actually, I'll admit, I used to hate on Matt Stafford with the Lions a little bit more because he would have all these statistics and then they would never win. And people would go, is he one of the best quarterbacks? Is he underrated? Is he a Hall of Famer? And I would push back to that and go, guy never wins. Guy doesn't take the Lions anywhere. And now looking back on it and just the way that he's played with the Rams and thinking, boy, you put competent organization around Matt Stafford. You're going to be pretty awesome. That guy has all the talent in the world. I think he's a top five quarterback today. And he's what, 36? 36, 35. He's, he's an older quarterback in the NFL now. 35. But yeah, he is just nasty. Like some of the throws that he makes in that game. Oof. The no-look stuff, The just the ability to throw from all arm angles. We always get so horned up for Mahomes when he does it, and I know that's basically the joke is like anybody that does stuff. Yeah. But, but Matt Stafford is the truth. The truth, truth, truth. Getting better with age. He was... On his crap Lions team, he was the identity of that Lions franchise, and he was taking hits like that and never quitting on the team, playing through injuries all the time. So for him and his family, I understand how when he returns to Detroit and he doesn't feel any love, and when he takes the field, he gets booed, and there's the double birds, and there's bars saying you can't come in with a Stafford jersey and all this different stuff. It was a little unique. It was a little unique. You don't see that, hey, you, 
if the Raptors are playing the Clippers in a finals, I could see it being like that, right? Mm. Hey, no Kawhi jerseys. Mm. But he didn't even have that for Vince Carter when he came here for playoffs. It wasn't, you can't wear a Vince Carter jersey in here. He got booed. But there was just layers of it. And I go, I get it if I'm him. I get it if I'm him because you gave so much to the city. Your wife puts out this video of what Detroit means to you before the series starts. But man, come on. Like after watching all that video and feeling like maybe I was a little bit on his side and all the extra personalization of it. What did you want those fans to do? It's the most tortured fan base in the entire NFL, including the Brownies. They, They have had nothing, nothing, nothing. All they've ever had is pain and embarrassment and bad ownerships and in bad stadiums. And why do you cheer for the lions? And they're the butt of every single joke and blah, 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 blah. They finally get a moment and they say, we're not going to be the franchise, the, the franchise that has today to accept you as our guy. That's going to come dude at the end of your career. When you're not playing them, they rooted for you in the super bowl. The lions yeah. fans had your back when you went to the super bowl. They said it felt like that was the best lions memory. So for it, it was kind of disappointing because again, they're athletes. They take, they they're taught basically take every offense and put that chip on your shoulder and help that build into something else. So that part of it, I get it, but it also does show you how removed sometimes athletes can be from fan culture and how little they understand actually about the people that create their massive salaries is dude. If you love Detroit and you care about the Detroit Lions fans, you should have just kind of, and I know you lost and it's, it's tough timing with it all. Maybe he has a different answer a week later, right? Stafford can clearly be a little emotional at times. He's put his foot in his mouth more than once. Mm-hmm. But this one is, I, I wish he could get a do-over because I don't want Matthew Stafford's legacy in Detroit to be tainted at all. And I don't want it to feel like those two sides are at odds with yeah, one another. Yeah, I don't another. want an adversarial yeah, exa- thing Yeah, exactly. On. And it's like, dude, you should understand. The fans don't hate you there. They hated you in that moment. And they, they love the Lions. Yeah. They love their lines and they love their city and it was civic pride. And they were I pumped up for a home playoff game yeah, and they were they jacked. Ne- they and like, never yeah. got that. Yeah. They had their first home playoff game and they want to say, we're not going to bend the knee to you yeah. b- and get sentimental about being losers. We're going to try to win. We want to win this damn football game. We're doing what Dan Campbell would want us to do. Yeah. All right. We're Lions Dan football. Dan Campbell is over there booing Stafford too, probably. And Lions fans rule. And so Stafford kind of, Pissing a little bit on their parade, I think, was a little annoying, a little babyish, even though, like I said, boy, you should go look back at some of those Stafford highlights. And I bet you, even if you're a Lions fan, you feel a little bad because you go, damn, he really was tougher. Yeah, he like says that. Multiple- you need me to throw the ball, throw the ball. You can't get out. It's so, it's, it's Friday Night Light stuff. It's Coach Taylor is holding him up by his shoulder pads, looking at him. I love you, son. As he's going back. That's, that's a real grit. That's a real football player. And I don't know. Ugh, I hate to say it. Maybe we'll keep some of it in football, but. I think we're losing a lot of those guys in sports. The, the just, yes, coach, let me get in the game, coach. Georgia, do anything to win a football game, guys. Yeah. We're getting a little bit more players who, it's a partnership. Oh, okay. All right. Have you won anything? No. All right. It's a partnership? All right. Cool. Uh, anyway, what's next? It, I just what? wanted to say, might have played a part that his kids were getting heckled, according to his wife, Kelly. Okay. Now, how much of that is like, just the fam and just him getting heckled. I don't know, but if I, I find my, it hard to believe that people were like, Hey, ugly kids, hey, you, you know, six year old yeah, girl. And also, yeah, it's yeah. You, you brought your kids to the football game. And if you're sitting in the game, you're the staff, you're wearing all the night. Anyway, you're going to, people are going to go boo Matt. And uh, uh, maybe 
I'd need to see it to it's judge. Just like it. It's just like multiple things to decipher what yeah. it actually was. Like multiple things can be true, but also like for him, it's a layup to just be like, yeah, the city's been City through rules. a lot. Yeah. Uh, I'm always going to love it here. Yeah, good luck. Good yeah, luck in the next round. It. Like you, it's a layup. Yeah. I'm happy for the players. It's just kind of salty and babyish. It's like, and that's intentional. He said I'm happy for the players. Obviously, obviously. Be the bigger man. Be the bigger man. All right, what's next? Uh, in Indianapolis, they installed a full-length basketball court in the International Airport. This yeah. is ahead of uh, All-Star Weekend, yeah, which is say, sweet. Is it going to stay there forever? No, I don't think so. I think it's just like as a, uh, as a, almost like a promotional thing. Lame. Uh, get a quick run in cool before you catch a real. red eye. Cool if it was real and they were saying, because they were saying, we're the Hoosier State. Exactly. It's supposed to be like basketball means more to us. Yeah. For this yeah. two-week period. Which I think it does, the by the way. Oh, which sure. I, I think it does. And that's what sucks about the Pacers never having really good teams and also about the Hoosiers not having any lasting success. Um, yeah, pretty, some Bobby Knight, really. Um, that sucks. I wish it was permanent. <laughs> so I said, that's actually a cool thing because if you were doing... If you're doing layovers and you had to do a couple hours, I could see that actually being kind of fun. Is sure. just go and play pickup, and then you're like, "Where are you from?" And the guy's like, "I'm from Bangkok." And you're like, "This is awesome," you know, like just wheeling like, on your carry-on, just, just like cool. dripping sweat. Yeah, just, <laughs> well, but yeah, that's I guess. the thing. Don't be playing fives and then come sit beside <laughs> me on the plane yeah, for six hours. Yeah, but I got a seat next to the guy who was just going full court runs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was gonna say there is nothing worse than sitting next to a stinky person on a plane, and what? I've had, I've had. I've had bad BO people on planes oh, sure. and I've had way too much perfume lady on planes and mm-hmm. it's hell. It, ladies, please PSA and guys for cologne too. Just say it. But I'm just saying I've only experienced it with the ladies and fragrance the, three. Relax on the fragrances when you're getting or on late the plane. fragrance. Yeah. Just deodorant time flight <laughs> deodorant. You're not they going go hand in hand. <laughs> we're not making out <laughs> even though I always <laughs> fall in love on airplanes. Oh, you know, sure. well, I was just going to bring I've, that up. I've, so, so I've never, I've never been in an airport without falling in love. There is this unspoken of sexual tension in airports, okay? <laughs> you're too so, you got to no, turn your mic sorry. off. No, no it's turn, true. Turn your mic off. Again, you're, the ho- you're on your true. sixth Man, airport bar Armin, beer. Armin is genuinely the horniest guy at the office. <laughs> How? It's, you, you are. It's, it's, I just want to ball too, out for yeah, the girls. No, that's what I mean. You're, you see, it's too, it's too much. It's too much. You got to relax. You got to breathe. But yeah, it's it's romantic to me. Uh, romant- I think romantic. <laughs> I want to buy flowers. I want to settle down at the airport. Duty free flowers. Yeah, that's it. You fall in love at airports. It's just a, it's, it's that there should. You know what? That's actually my new idea. Is <laughs> singles night at airports? <laughs> airports. They should have airport lounges open up and you go up to the airport and you try to find some love and you meet somebody there. That's a million dollar idea. That's just for free for anybody that wants it anyway, because uh, it's impossible. You see someone, it's the best someone can ever look in relaxed clothing is at the airport yeah. with their headphones on, not wanting to talk to anyone. You're like, we're not going to talk, but I'm going to steal glances from afar and love you. <laughs> Love you deeply. <laughs> Anyways, what's next? Uh, Mike Tomlin post game. Oh, yeah, asked about game stuff. his uh, his kind of contract and how he has one year left. Just did the storm out. Mm. Um, what do you think is going on with the Steelers? Like, what do you think they'll move on for him? Do you think? To be fair to Tomlin, it was apparently the last. I looked it up. It was apparently the last question. It was. He was already kind of getting ready to leave. Correct. And the reporter sort of throws it in. I. Again, think it's babyish to do this stuff. Players, I get it. There's always, it's so weird to me when fans love to just immediately defend the coach and love to defend the players. Like, this is for you. Like, it's supposed to be, be like Lions fans, okay? Be like Lions fans and know that you cheer for the 
the, the, the city on the uniform, not the name on the uniform. Mm. Cheer for the logo, not the nameplate. Tomlin, it just, it's a, it's a little immature. I hate it when guys storm off. I, I don't, I don't, I just, it's, it's, it's never been a thing that I enjoy. I don't think it's fun with Belichick. I've never did. I never thought it was fun with Popovich. Like these things are, you, you don't owe the fans answers or whatever, but you kind of do. You kind of, you're one of the representatives of the franchise and you're at a low moment and fans are watching this thing because they want answers. When do you go to a post-game presser? It's usually after a bad loss because you want to hear some level of accountability and yeah. you want to hear what these guys think went wrong and mm-hmm. what they think can change and all that. So when he storms off, it's a bit annoying. Tomlin, I think, has lost five straight playoff games now. Yeah, they haven't won a playoff game since 2017. Yeah, that's a long time. So congrats on the never having sub-500 regular seasons, but... Yeah. I think Steelers fans I can really relate to actually right now because as a Seahawks fan, we were in the same spot with Pete Carroll where the teams are always good. You're good. You're good. And you do have a culture and you're afraid to step away from that because you go, man, what's going to be better? What's going to be better? What's going to be better? Um, they, so much of this is just they've never had a quarterback since Ben. They've had yeah, Duck Hodges so- and Mason Rudolph and Kenny Pickett and all these other just not good quarterbacks. So maybe he just gets a QB and all of this turns around. So they keep taking bullets or keep taking shots and – Get him a quarterback, but yeah, I think it's it's kind of getting to the point now where something something's got to change in Pittsburgh. I just I I would think that it's one more quarterback before it's the coach. I just have a hard time believing that they're gonna that they're gonna get a coach that's better than Mike Tomlin. Well, so that's the thing. And I was talking to a Steelers fan buddy last yeah. night about this, and he was saying like, yeah, every year he gets the most out of the team he probably can, yeah. right? Like they're yeah. That's so what we were saying with Sheldon Keefe earlier. Yeah, it's exactly. Like, is he getting the most of the players? I don't think so. And so Tomlin probably is, but the thing about the Steelers as a franchise and a fan base is they don't care about ten win regular seasons. They're mm-hmm. one of those fan bases that want actual. Super Bowls and Super Bowl contending yeah. teams. So he's in that he's in that kind of weird spot. I mean, also the Tomlin thing is he if he leaves the Steelers, he would take any he could get any job he wanted. Mm-hmm. Right? I think don't you think that every franchise would Yeah, this the, the only thing I do continue to wonder is will the hard ass coaches start to be less popular mm. or less attractive to teams as the players become more of the partnership players and not the yes coach players Mm. that we see in leagues. Well, let me just say this as a saints fan, Mm -hmm. when there are names like Belichick and Tomlin, Jim Harbaugh, keep Dennis Allen. Yeah. I'm got It's looking rough that they're like, Hey, you know what? We're going to keep Dennis Allen. I know that there are some big names potentially coming up, but uh, we like our guy DA. It's going to be amazing. It it really does feel like Belichick's going to be a Falcon. The, Feels he, like his relationship with Arthur Blank is is going to be a thing. The fact that the Falcons like tweeted out uh, infographic of like Bill Belichick interviewed with us was really funny to me. No, but that but teams do that. No, the Chargers I, did that with Harbaugh. Teams, I get it, teams but it was that. just like so. It, it was just really funny. Like usually I expect yeah. like Schefter to send that first, not the team to be like breaking news. But Belichick that, just chatted. But if you're with a Falcons them. fan, that's actually one of the best ten I'm moments sure. in your franchise's history. Yeah, because that team is trash. Like what? What if? What do the Falcons fans have to hang their hat on? Oh, they made that one Super Bowl. Yeah. What happened? Oh no. Yeah. yeah. It's like had some sweet Mike Vick runs. Dirty Bird. Yeah, Dirty Bird. <laughs> Making it the week leading up to the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> and the first half of the, the Super yeah. Bowl. And the first spoiled two spiked. and a half quarters. Yeah. No, just. Yeah, I genuinely don't, don't. I have no idea what the the TJ Duckett Warren Dunn 
tandem. Mm. That was cool. Mm. What else? <laughs> what else? Yeah, Seriously, no, I got what, what else? What well, else? Mike Vick. Yeah, I said that. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, Algie Crumpler? No. no. That was cool, though. He was sick and mad. Yeah, he was, he was sick so and mad. much better in that mad duo, names. that yeah. Mike Vick to Algie Crumpler duo. Yeah. This is all about. This Woo. is all about. Anyway, yeah, I, I think that's a high watermark for the Falcons and their franchise. And the more I think about it, by the way, the more it makes sense because if you go to that division, everybody sucks, right? You got to jump Baker. You got to jump Baker. And DA and the Saints. Come you on. You got to jump Baker and an aging Bucks team. You're in the eight hole. You probably want to draft. Drafting the quarterback will be intense there. That will be... I, I, I'm still, I know people will say I'm biased, but I, I really do believe that if you're trying to win over the next couple of years, like Penix is the guy, I think he's better than JJ. There's other guys in that draft. Like I would be devastated if my franchise took JJ and I, I think the Seahawks could. And so I'm terrified <laughs> of it. But, um, if you're that team and you have Bijan already there, right. You have these two incredible running backs. I think Belichick maybe ends up getting more. Oh, yeah, tight end. Belichick's got pretty good history with turning those guys. Is Kyle Pitts? You don't. Th- if you want to wonder if he can actually play, that's it. They've already got a receiver in Drake London, who I think is amazing. The division sucks. There's pieces on defense. You've got the full weight of ownership behind you saying, "Yeah, Bill, you're gonna do. We're gonna do whatever you want. We're not gonna meddle." You could see why it's attractive to him. You could see why it makes sense. He's got the relationship there. It's not. I like it from the divisional standpoint and the NFC being wide open. I just still hope it's the Cowboys. I hope Cowboys is the most fun by a mile. Yeah, How about them Cowboys with Bill Belichick yeah. would be the, by far the most fun. Yeah. The, the, the Falcons are just way too irrelevant. Such a who cares franchise. Correct. Sorry, Falcons fans, but it's true. Well, Saints are there too, though. So no, hey, offense. we want a Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. We want a Super Bowl. You know, I, I read t- uh, today that, you know what Drew Brees' road record was in the playoffs. He couldn't win away from. Oh Saints. yeah. Probably Sucked. terrible, but o- overrated. Well, I don't know yeah, about that. Yeah, I do. I do. Uh, I don't yeah, know about that. I do. He's overrated. He no. does. Yeah. No, we can't. <laughs> no, do I'm this. only saying we this to me. This. I'm only saying this to me. Simon, Simon literally pleading with me, like, no, 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 no we don't can't do this. Don't say this about Drew. Don't, we don't can't say do this about No, I was always a Drew Brees guy. Brees yeah. guy. I had him in my keeper fantasy league for over ten years. I, I love Drew Brees. Anyway, uh, all right, we got to go. 